This is Real Business in Real Time with executive coach Dr. Mark Hinderleiter. Learn what C-suite execs and business leaders have learned in the real-time, real-world school of hard knocks. And now, here's your host, Dr. Mark Hinderleiter. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Real Business in Real Time. My guest today is Ariana Carruth. She's the Chief Executive Officer of PWS and is an award-winning, experienced sales and marketing professional. She has over 21 years of experience driving strategic revenue opportunities regarding market strategy, brand architecture and positioning, corporate communications, sales training, sales enablement, content curation, prospecting and closing relationships with key clients, pricing strategies, and the development of analytical driven metrics to increase conversions. Additionally, Ariana has 17 years of oil and gas knowledge, specifically upstream, with a focus on offshore and deep water markets. As CEO of PWS, Ariana is acutely focused on driving more lean, sustainable, and profitable future industry by staying dynamic in the marketplace and embracing the latest technologies and methodologies to optimize efficiencies and deliver real solutions. And those sound like things, Ariana, that all businesses need right now in this changing world. So welcome to the show. Welcome to Real Business in Real Time. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. You bet. Looking forward to a great conversation. So uh, just first, Ariana, let me just ask you about your business. Give us kind of the thumbnail of what PWS is. Well, PWS is actually an impact investment company that is committed to delivering clean, one-of-a-kind technologies to reduce carbon footprint and optimize productivity. We've actually been focused on taking the oil and gas industry specifically, known for its take-make-waste industrial model, forward into a more sustainable, lean, and profitable future with our bespoke waste-eliminating technologies that save energy and yield higher efficiencies and reliabilities. Uh, Additionally, we've recently broadened our commitment to sustainable development by diversifying our portfolio into other industries to include geothermal, civil engineering, and carbon storage. We believe strongly that carbon neutral initiatives can only be achieved by better managing available resources, technologies, and investments, and that strategic partnerships like those with PWS will play a vital role in ensuring the oil and gas industry in particular has a strong and profitable future. We are actually also guided by the tenets of a circular economy and deliver to a triple bottom line of people, planet, and profit. Our patent pending Zoom torsional oscillation control technology is currently making waves in the oil and gas industry in drilling, fishing, and intervention applications. Invented by an award-winning and seasoned oil and gas veteran, Michael Blakely, our Zoom technology is standing alone in the field as an example of true disruptive innovation that is solving otherwise unsolvable problems while actually also offering carbon credits back to our clients. PWS was formed to lead our industry into the fourth industrial revolution by meeting sustainability challenges and pioneering sustainable oil field products. With sustainable development at our core, we have adopted a sustainability plan in alignment with the UN 
2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. Our goals include number six, clean water and sanitation, seven, affordable and clean energy, nine, industry, innovation and infrastructure, 12, responsible consumption, and number 17, partnerships. We feel that goals like these are most relevant to our organization's commitment to providing clean technologies to accelerate the transition to low carbon future. PWS is, as you mentioned, a dynamic organization that can remain agile and reactive to market conditions and client needs. We offer rapid to manufacturing prototype engineering services that address these energy and efficiency savings. As a first of its kind to offer 100% sustainable oil field products, we are the strategic technology partner of the future of oil and gas 4.0 with our business models, clean technology, and our commitment to sustainability. You know, that's a great introduction of PWS, Ariana, but I'll tell you, you had me at solving the unsolvable. Yes. <laughs> I, was, I was all in when you said that. <laughs> If that's what you bring to companies, I'm pretty sure there's a big market for that. There is a big market to address sustainability in our industry, for sure. Absolutely. So let's kind of drill down into that a little bit. You okay. know, with all the disruption, you know, I, ha I have clients in oil and gas, too. With all the disruption in oil and gas and energy industry, you know, what business models and strategies are you seeing as you scan the industry that, that might be just outdated and not sustainable? Well, I think we can all agree that our industry has never been at a greater impasse. We definitely can agree on that. I mean, we have seen this depressed market, as you've mentioned, the presumable end of the U.S. frack boom. And there is a growing urgency and demand for the industry to address its impact on the environment. We are faced with this reality that we have to adapt to literally survive as an industry. And this adaptation, I strongly believe, and we strongly believe at PWS has to include sustainable development in both the field and in business. COVID, interestingly, has, I think, already helped our industry and will continue to help our industry usher into this change to rid ourselves of the gluttony that we've known for so long in oil and gas. Our industry has to get serious about eliminating waste. And in this COVID, post-COVID world especially, we have to move away from these business models that include these large capital assets for capital assets sake. I don't think that there is any need to keep large commercial real estate, for instance, large manufacturing facilities, large inventories, non-critical business travel, and even large personnel overhead in our budget and on our books. Not only does this improve the bottom line with these eliminations, but it will also drastically reduce companies' carbon footprint literally overnight. I believe our industry has been so heavily weighted down by its overhead that we have been completely unable to react quickly and effectively during market contractions, market contractions that we know are cyclical. We have to eliminate these debilitatingly large overheads and the company culture that finds damaging comfort in doing things the way that we've always done them instead of seeking, supporting, and actually investing in new technologies and methodologies that support capital efficiencies. This includes, in my belief, eliminating the mindset of one-stop shops 
commodity-based business models, and the segregation of business units. It is my belief that we should eliminate in-house engineering and rely on boutique engineering houses with specializations. Changes like these allow us to scale and react quickly to market conditions and market demands. Moreover, I believe that we should reduce non-revenue-driven departments from our SGNA as much as possible. I believe wholeheartedly that employing consultants in HR, legal, graphic design, IT, is a more efficient and flexible business model. Inventory always seems to be a big thing in oil and gas. And I believe that with regards to inventory, we need to better forecast. We need to reduce manufacturing times and we need to reduce the inventory carried on our books by either working with partners that can carry that inventory for us or working with partners that can have a quick manufacturing turnaround. COVID in particular this year has eliminated the perception that butts and chairs equal productivity and alongside with flexible manpower through contracting, we can eliminate this office space for our personnel by continuing remote work policies and by establishing shared, scheduled, in-office hours strategically decided by individual team needs for efficiency. Again, all of this reduces carbon footprint with less travel and less commuting, but this needs to be a top-down decision and top-down approach in every organization. From sea level down, there needs to be an honest effort to adapt in a post-COVID business world to adopt technologies that facilitate business virtually and remotely. With regards to other industry, you know, what we do in the industry that we need to kind of rid ourselves of, I think it has to continue that we have to break down the silos that our industry is known to perpetuate. We must learn to better share resources between groups and desegregating business units, I believe will increase efficiencies, work product and the sharing of knowledge. Undoubtedly, the integration of business units increase revenue. But for some reason, our industry, oil and gas, has significantly lagged behind other industries that have long ago integrated such units as sales and marketing under a chief revenue officer, for instance. I think a commoditized industry has not been right for innovation. I think that's been proven. Additionally, these business models can lead to bloat with a passive workforce and a business model that cuts profitability with a race to the bottom. This leads our companies to have marginal books and an inability to profitably react to market contractions. And it also results in a difficulty to manage our manufacturing costs. As we've touched before, and as I'm sure I will touch again on this, is we have to eliminate the ideology that to be a successful company, we need to be a one-stop shop for the industry. Instead, it is my belief that we have to focus on core competencies where you can achieve your greatest efficiencies and return on your investment. Can I, can I ask you just a question about that? So when yeah. you say one-stop shop... Does that mean engineering is under the corporate umbrella, manufacturing is under the corporate umbrella, R&D is under the corporate? Is, is that kind of what I'm No, I, I'm specifically talking about products, for instance. You know, 
We need to focus on our core competencies. So we need to rid ourselves of these, this idea that for a company to truly be successful, we have to be in drilling, well completions, fishing and abandonment, you know, that, that we have to cover everything. We don't have to cover everything. If your company has successfully been in one sector of the business, it can still be successful in that sector of the business. And we can better partner with others who, you know, maybe have better technology and other sectors of our industry and and work more with these strategic partnerships. We need to concentrate more at what we do best and strategically partner with those that can fill the technology gaps that we have identified in our companies. You know, that kind of what you're saying kind of relates to my real world experience and my last corporate career. That, that was really the mindset. Um, growth came from acquisitions that brought more services. And so the end game of what I saw was instead of doing a few things that really were core competencies, years and decades of deep experience and tremendous institutional knowledge and, and really good execution to, you know, somebody that makes donuts and steak and eggs and, yes. and, and pizza and, and none of it is really good. You know, it's just all kind of okay. And so it was, it became very watered down in terms of quality and the message to customers. Customers didn't even understand, you guys do that? <laughs> I heard that all the time. So, yeah. Yeah. The, the concept of we do that too does not necessarily mean that you do it well. Yeah. I think that we have to focus on what we really are good at and focus on bringing bespoke technologies to our companies and focusing less on the commodity markets that, you know, our margins are so little in that space anyways. I mean, it is a constant race to the bottom and that's not what we need to focus on to move our companies into more profitable spaces. And that where we lack with technology gaps in our business, we can strategically partner. And we can strategically partner, not just with technology gaps, but we strategically partner with, you know, personnel, we strategically partner with manufacturing. Again, we need to just run our companies in, in much leaner spaces. And COVID, I think, is, while it has been difficult for our industry, it's been difficult for the world, it is also teaching us that we can do a lot that, you know, that there are efficiencies in working remotely, that, that we do not need these large buildings, that we can instead um, strategically place our personnel when it is safe again back in the office as needed, but also reduce that overhead that's in the office 100% of the time. So you're the first person I've talked to in a while that said, there's a there's an upside to COVID, <laughs> you know. There is an upside to COVID. So what I gathered from you was, so it forces to change when we should have been doing that long ago. It is, but I already, I, it's still interestingly a difficult mindset as, you know, there are travel restrictions, you know, around the world still, but you still see people taking non-critical business travel. And I think that we, we as an industry have to adjust to that. We have to realize that there is a lot that can be done uh, virtually and we can drive business successfully. And also, again, in doing that, I have to mention sustainable development. It is, it is our responsibility as an industry to be cognizant of our impact on the environment and 
travel is part of that. There are so many ways that we can reduce our carbon footprint as an industry. And it starts with the little things. Yeah, you know, one of the things I've seen is companies were forced to do sales differently, right? Yes. And so now yeah. they've figured out how to do sales pretty well remotely on Zoom. I mean, everybody has Zoom meetings, you know, but uh, the sales and marketing process had to pivot. And so that's kind of starting to, uh, is, I mean, are you seeing that also? I am. But interestingly, I've, I've been somebody who has tried to pioneer in this space against a lot of resistance for many, many years. I believe that sales and marketing, obviously, it, it is my belief that those are functions that should be under the same you know, department and that there are, have been a lot of gaps and efficiencies in that desegregation of those two departments, but also that there are so many analytics that take place in sales and marketing that oil and gas has um, failed to adopt. And so I do think that hopefully there are a lot of leaders in sales and marketing right now in the industry that are finally at least opening up their thought on adopting these methodologies that have been around and have been used successfully to drive revenue in other industries. Hopefully they are adopting them. And that includes sales enablement platforms. And that includes all of the analytics and uh, curated content that, that certainly is, is driven home in other industries that we just do not see very well in oil and gas. Yeah. So in, in the work that I do, one of the titles that I'm starting to see, not a lot, but a little bit is chief revenue officer. Yes. So what's your take on what that role is? I was a chief revenue officer before okay. I was a chief executive okay. officer. <laughs> so I, I do feel like I'm a, a bit well versed in, in that space. A chief revenue officer, I, I believe, can be an integral component inside uh, any organization. It is similar to a chief commercial officer. However, a chief revenue officer, it is in um, you know, everything that they do and making sure that there is support for every revenue generating you know, task in, in the organization. And that is you know, a marriage between sales and marketing. Sales and marketing need to be working together. Marketing should not be making things look pretty. That's not what the, the goal of marketing is. The goal of marketing should be to have a return on investment, to, to actually drive something into the sales pipeline with its marketing. And the only way that you can create curated content that is going to drive anything into a sales pipeline is to work closely with sales, to work closely like within oil and gas, with your product line managers and with engineering. And so those functions, at least in part, should, um, you know, like with regards to engineering, should have a dotted line to the, the chief revenue officer. So everyone's working together. But, um, you know, with those ideologies, you really are concentrated on curating content, you're really concentrated on the analytics behind you're concentrated on investing in technologies that uh, gives you an insight to your customer before your sales person even has a first conversation with, you know, a potential customer. So as I'm sitting here listening to you, Ariana, I, so one thing came to mind is all the resistance I've seen over the years by the sales force with the CRM. Yes. Uh, yes. I mean, that was like a dirty word. It is still a dirty word in oil and gas, unfortunately, but it, it needs not to be. And 
again, that's that is the job of having a you know a function like a chief revenue officer in an organization because you have to have good leadership that sells the value proposition to your team. A CRM is an incredibly helpful tool that can reduce non-productive time in your sales staff and increase conversion rates and increase revenue. But you have to, you know, illuminate those advantages to your sales professional team. And it takes a good leadership to do that. It takes people in the organization believing in those technologies. But a CRM can certainly streamline any process uh, with regards to sales. Yeah, it's just one example of, that came to me. So here's what I'm sensing with this conversation. You said it earlier, you're trying to create a new paradigm for the industry yes. that is more sustainable than the boom and bust uh, yes, thing mentality, that's going yeah. on right now. Yeah. Uh, boom and bust is not a very sustainable model in any industry. Is no. It? Uh, no, but it's one that we've adhered to for decades. Yeah. So like you were describing with the new mindset with the CRM, how do you, how do you become a paradigm buster, <laughs> you know, with an organization to really kind of get them on board with really strategic partnerships and one-stop shop, you know, whether it's engineering or HR or uh, manufacturing, because I think the old paradigm is because it's under my roof, I can control it all. Mm-hmm is kind of what I've experienced. So as a change evangelist, that's the new title I just gave you, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> where do you even start, you know, with a company that really kind of wants to, to uh, create something more sustainable than what they have now? Well, I, I mean, I think within it, because my background is in sales, I would probably say it's the value proposition that you're giving to whomever you're speaking to. And, you know, with regards to oil and gas and maybe how PWS is helping to transform companies, it's, you know, we talk a lot about sustainable development and strategic partnerships. And I strongly believe that strategic partnerships will play a a massively critical role in our industry's outlook. PWS has positioned itself with the capabilities to help these companies better manage their existing resources, the technologies and their investments to ensure what I envision for the future is this leaner, greener, and more profitable future. So, you know, I can't say it enough that our industry's literal survivability is reliant on our awareness and action to address our impact on the environment. And I strongly believe that that we have to adopt these new technologies and new partnerships and business models to increase that uh, efficiency. With regards to sustainability, you know, this is, this is a movement in our industry that we have to address. And while not everyone is on board to the same degree, PWS is there. We've positioned ourselves to help customers identify their waste in the field and in operations and have armed them with the tools that they need to achieve their carbon neutral goals. And it is, like I mentioned, with strategic partnerships, it's, it goes back to your core competencies. You don't have to be an expert in sustainable development. You don't have to be an expert in, you know, lean business models to move your company forward. It's, it's who you choose to partnership with. And I think companies that are open to transforming themselves into a leaner, greener machine can do so by adopting our similar principles and our technologies that do reduce costs and yield a higher return on investment. And then the proof is in the pudding. 
you you know you adopt these technologies you see you know the the product you know the result and then you move forward knowing that your bottom line is healthier i think for specific examples that might resonate with people in oil and gas if you take uh, for example pna work pna work it's a big capex spend with literally no return but for instance, with the adoption of PWS technology, a company can increase the amount of wells abandoned, reducing well to completion costs. So that can be massive to the company. And so it's a little step, but it's a significant one. You know, with our ability to reduce time in wells, PWS is able to offer overall energy reductions in all operations. You know, our fishing Zoom, our Zoom FX, for instance, can save 60% on average days by recovering longer sections. Our drilling Zoom, our Zoom DX, saves drilling one out of five wells for the same reservoir recovery. And with its 70 day plus run life, we are introducing cost savings and durability and reliability into the field. So it's the adoption of these new technologies that it's not just our company doing them, we adopt these technologies that are reducing the amount of energy needed but you're also saving in drilling time, you're saving uh, costs, and that's how you move your business forward into the future. And with regards to, you know, I know we've discussed this before, but I can't say it enough, reducing your carbon footprint, which we do have these carbon neutral uh, initiatives, and so we have to move forward with that. You know, just taking the um, example of, you know, our tools are field serviceable and they're field serviceable in 45 to 60 minutes. That reduces a company's tool mobilization costs, but also the carbon footprint associated with taking a tool on and off the field, which at times can be a great distance depending on where you are in the world. I mean, sometimes it involves several modes of transportation. So, Simple things like that and adopting, you know, partnering with a strategic partner that can offer you technology that can be serviced on the field is a simple way of reducing your costs, but also reducing your carbon footprint. So as old school oil and gas see clean, green, sustainable as a friend or an enemy? I know that's a pretty point blank, black and white question, but... Um, I think it sees it as an inevitability. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, it's, it's the person that you don't want to have over to dinner, but you have to invite them over for dinner. I mean, our industry has to do this to survive. And so, you know, this, we, we have to make the change. And so I think that for companies like ours, it's, a massive opportunity because we are in the space of sustainability. I think that it probably is a varying commitment based on what companies that you're speaking to and geographically where you are in the world, but it is definitely uh, what we have to do to become a, a part of the future of industry. Yeah. Wow. You and I could do this for a couple of hours. <laughs> there's a lot, I mean, really there's a lot of layers to every one of those topics uh, strategic partners with HR, what's that look like? With engineering, what's that look like? With technology, what's that look like? Yes. But it sounds like for folks in the industry, just starting with a conversation with you might be a good place to start. So anyway, I really appreciate that. I mean, you've, I've kind of came from oil and gas in, in my HR career. So a lot of this resonates with me. And 
you know, kind of one thing you said earlier to me at a hundred bucks a, a barrel, you know, we're all fat and happy, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> At 25 bucks a barrel, or, I mean, it got lower than that even. We have to be smarter. You know, we, it is. It's, it's doing business smarter, more efficiently. That's all that it is. Yeah. And, and other industries are doing this. It's just very painful for oil and gas to move. I, I, I look at it as it's just we can be so stuck in the mud. It takes so much energy for us to pivot. And we have to just become leaner so we can be agile. And that is how we survive. That's how we survive, you know, into the future. But that's how we survive, you know, like you said, you know, the, these market contractions that we know are cyclical. They, they happen. They're going to happen again. And we have to prepare our companies with the best agility to survive them. So you just said a word that I've been saying for a couple of years that I believe the new key core competency or one of the key core competencies for any business of any industry is agility because we are seeing change this year has been uh, the year of years for change right uh, it's just like the perfect storm of, of many things colliding but even before covid uh, what i was seeing probably was what you were seeing was the rate of change the pace of change has just been a snowball rolling downhill just picking up steam picking up, you know, and so, you know, the old saying when I first came into business a long time, it was change or die. Well, that has never been more true. It is, it is extremely true in our industry. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for all your insights. I, I hope folks who really have the desire to kind of, it's not even change, it's transform into it something is. new and better, um, uh, kind of reach out to you. So last question I like to ask folks, I'm, I'm a big believer in the school of hard knocks. You know, okay. <laughs> I, I personally have a lot of formal education, you know, bachelor's degree, master's degree, PhD. But what I learned in life was from the school of hard knocks, making a mistake, getting a lump on my head and doing it better next time. Mm-hmm. So in your career, what would you kind of say was kind of at the top of the list for, for your school of hard knocks best learning? Honestly, it's a loaded question. I think that uh, there have been a lot of lessons in business over the last two decades. But I think that what, you know, my biggest learning lesson has probably come in the last couple of years, and it's come from our industry. And I think that it has hands down been what I've seen as the death of innovation and the devastating effects that it can have on an organization. I honestly, you know, I find that response to be, a little ironic, given that it was born in an industry that uses the word innovation so pervasively. <laughs> but I strongly believe that in many cases, the support for actual real innovation is sadly a dying effort in our company cultures. As we've mentioned several times in this podcast, there is a rampant resistance to change, and change is an integral component of innovation. Uh, having experienced firsthand the death of innovation inside our industry, I, I know all too well the frustration of watching a company fail as a result of, you know, the refusal to adopt what, you know, I have found to be new and simple revenue generating systems, strategies and business models. So we need to, you know, listen to people. 
I think that when you when you fail to listen to your own people, people that have been hired because of their expertise in their field, and when you fail to listen to the market and what the market is telling you, and when you fail to listen to your customers, you're failing to innovate at every level. And for business to have successful longevity, there has to be a company culture that truly supports new ideas new ideas that may be radical, new ideas that might be difficult to, you know, wrap your head around or to implement. But we have to take ideas from inside our industry and we have to even look outside of our industry to see what's working and to eliminate what isn't working. Uh, I don't think that there should be any place in our industry for business leaders who do not support in the very least sustaining innovation. But uh, I think there has to be a real call for, you know, our business leaders to have a, an absolute resolve to genuinely driving uh, disruptive innovation in all sectors of our business and our industry. So the death of innovation, that has been the hardest thing to, to swallow as someone who's been in the industry. Yeah. You know, I thought that was the genius of Steve Jobs, who had fans and who had detractors but he, he was fanatical about building a culture of innovation yes. uh, and, and that has lived beyond his, his lifetime, that he built that, that became their DNA as, yes. as drive innovation that literally changes the world. And so what an advantage any company would have where innovation was literally built into their DNA as part of their culture. And truly so, because, and that's why I felt like it, it was almost an ironic response because almost every single company in our industry talks about innovation, but there is a disconnect between, you know, talking about innovation and actually leading a company culture that supports and invests in real innovation, sustaining and disruptive innovation. So, and, and, but that comes from sea level down. So, we have to we have to drive that uh, in leadership. Absolutely, it's the same disconnect you and I have seen with core values that are written beautifully yes. and things that you and I can buy into. But the disconnect is we don't really practice it. Exactly. <laughs> you know, yes. and and that's a huge disconnect. And by yes. the way, demoralizing to the organization when we talk as leaders about this is who we are and what we aspire to, but that's not their daily experience. And no wonder every survey, Gallup survey, year after year after year says basically the same thing. About 70% of the workforce is not engaged. There is a reason why we, you know, we attest to the circular economy and our triple bottom line is people, planet, profit. I, I think that a company is not much of anything without its people, but there has to be a level of considerable respect for your people and their talent. And there needs to be room for them to grow in your organization and for them to be uh, true contributors. And that, again, is it comes from your leadership and, as you mentioned, really living your core, your core beliefs. Yeah, walking the talks for a good leadership practice. <laughs> well, Ariana, we, we could do this all day long, but um, let's go ahead and wrap up. Thanks for everything that you've shared. So folks that want to uh, learn more about PWS, where should you send them? Where, where should they go? Pureworldsustainability.com. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. And folks, thanks for listening in. One of the things I say a lot is 
great podcasts or the new MBA, you know, where we can learn in real time from real leaders like you. So Ariana, thank you. And folks, thanks for tuning in. Thank you very much, Mark. Thanks for joining us on Real Business in Real Time with executive coach, Dr. Mark Hinderleiter. Be sure to connect with Mark Hinderleiter on LinkedIn, check out his leadership tip of the week, and subscribe to this podcast on the app of your choice. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.